You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Senior Contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Smoke Signals Podcast. And, boy, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty here. We only got two and a half weeks left in the season, and the stakes are just getting higher, and the race is tighter. And fortunately, the Indians starting to make up some ground a little bit here uh, after playing well this week. And uh, here to talk all the highlights and latest storylines uh, with me here is uh, IBI Editor-in-Chief Justin Lada. Justin, how are you doing this week? Doing good. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of nice to have a night off from a baseball game, especially considering the Indians were on the, uh, on the West Coast the last three days and Went to some very late nights that I wish we didn't have. That's the last time this year, so really excited to see what happens this weekend. Yeah, uh, I think we all are, and uh, this is the last chance the Indians have to really make some make up some ground against the Twins. They are currently four games back in the AL Central, and they are they got three coming up this weekend against the Twins. So obviously they're not going to catch them even with a sweep, but they can make this division race very interesting by uh, by Monday of next week, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes from there on out for both teams. But as far as them in the wild card race is concerned, nothing's really changed. They're half a game out of uh, the second wild card spot as the A's and the Rays continue to play very good baseball down the stretch here, and uh, it's just it hasn't they haven't been able to. Uh, coincide wins with any losses for either team right now and you know this past week since we last uh, talked they took two or three from the twins in minnesota which was nice and then went on to sweep the angels which is very nice and then they go right back against the twins at progressive field this weekend so again very high stakes very some very interesting games coming up here uh some storylines to discuss um outside of the uh Indians winning uh, uh, five of the uh, last six games they played. They've also seen Francisco Lindor make some history, becoming the second shortstop in Major League history with three or more seasons of 30-plus homers before the age of 25. That uh, title previously held by uh, Alex Rodriguez. And uh, Oscar Mercado earned play of the week with a leaping catch against the White Sox. Very nice catch, actually. I just... Was going back and look at the highlights again. It was a very nice effort there. And then on the uh, transactional front, uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez activated from the IL, while Danny Salazar has been moved to the 60-day IL, and he'll be actually uh, heading home, takes us, taking some time off, and who knows what his future holds in store. But uh, any thoughts on any of the uh, quick hits here at the stop, top of the show? Yeah, Lindor's getting hot at the right time. They really needed that, and it was a good road trip overall. And they lost one game. That's how you want to be on the, on the road. It's not easy, uh, even though the Angels aren't very good. And uh, yeah, that's 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 really about it. It's good to see Lindor get hot at the right time. And then, you know, as far as Salazar, uh, 
probably the last time you'll see him in in his uniform was that Astro start back in July. So, yeah. I mean, I uh, see him for Danny Salazar. I honestly cannot believe they tried to rehab him again. He made three rehab starts with Akron and still just did not look good. Um, The velocity was still way down, and it just... I I thought that when he had the groin injury, he was done, and uh, we initially had said like that that was the case. He was going to go to Tampa, and that was going to be it. And uh, now that is indeed the case, where he's going to be spending the rest of the season at home. And as you said, this is probably the last we'll see of Danny Salazar in an Indians uniform. It's very unfortunate because. I mean, I know we've discussed this before, but would you say, like, as far as, like, pure, raw uh, talent goes, that Salazar was probably the most exciting pitcher we've seen in an Indians uniform in in recent memory? Yeah, I mean, just his rise from, you know, double A in 2013 to starting a wild card game, and then he made an all-star team, and, you know, he pitched a full year in 2015. He had, what, 185 innings, I think? And then 2016, he had the all-star team, and that's been kind of about it, so... He was good really fast when he got up here, and then, unfortunately, just hasn't overcome the injuries. On a serious note, I really hope he's okay, personally. I know he just didn't feel right going back out for a second inning. I don't know. if He said he felt fine physically, so it sounds like something else is going on there. So, you know, hopefully yeah. he's okay. For, I mean, it's one thing to, to be upset about spending $4.5 million on a guy, even if it is, you know, a – a worthwhile lottery ticket to see if uh, he can help out this year. But, uh, you know, on a personal note, you definitely want the guy to be in a good spot. And I just, I hope nothing, nothing personal is, is he's not battling anything in his personal life that's affecting his ability to play at the same time. Right. Well, I know that the stress he must be under uh, mentally um, and emotionally just to get just to try to get back to this uh, high level of competition and try to get to where he was. I mean, and knowing that he's probably never going to get back to that point and knowing at any point that, you know, his body's just going to let him down. It seems like that that's been the story the last few years. Like, you know, just when he starts to feel good about himself again, that's when things start to uh, go wrong with injuries again. And, uh, yeah. I can understand that from that perspective, and I think that this offseason, he's going to have to do a lot of soul-searching as far as uh, trying to regroup uh, in his mind and getting back on track, uh, obviously on the mound, too, and, you know, perhaps a change of senior will do him good. It would get, it, get him out from under that pressure of trying to get back, I mean, not totally, but, I mean... Changing teams, new start, new beginning, I think it'll remove some of that burden from him. And uh, just hopefully he's able to get get himself in a better state of mind this offseason. So I, I am with you uh, in concurring that uh, I hope things have, have not uh, progressed to a point that they could, they could affect his uh, mental well-being. But uh, hopefully this off season he can really uh, get back in a good headspace. So, uh, and uh, again, congrats to Oscar Mercado on player of the week on play of the week against Chicago and uh, Lindor. As you said, getting hot at the right time when the Indians need him, especially with Ramirez out indefinitely. Um, they need him to be on his game to lead this offense. And 
<clears throat> he's doing that, and hopefully it can it can continue. So, uh, and a uh, little quick note on Jeffrey Rodriguez because I was reading the article uh, about. Uh, when he got activated, and it's Terry Francona said that he's been trying to basically rework his delivery, like rebuild it from the ground up, essentially, and rework his mechanics and see about. I don't know if the injury has has uh, served as a wake up call. Maybe he was doing something that he shouldn't have been with his mechanics that was increasing his risk of injury, or maybe he just felt like there was something he was doing that was affecting his uh, ability to pitch well, or whatever the case may be. I, I just thought it was interesting that uh, he spent the time uh, on the IL uh, reworking his mechanics, and now he's coming back essentially uh, a, a rebuilt pitcher in a way. And I want to – I'm interested to see how that plays out moving forward. Yeah, I am too. I mean, he, he gave them some really quality innings, what he was doing, and they, they said the whole time he was up that – you know, he was not a finished product, and he had a lot of work to do, but they didn't have a choice because Adam Bucko was hurt at the time. So good for him, I guess, to use his time down constructively and, and also at the same time find it bizarre that he's on the roster. And he's been on the roster since, uh, what, it's been over a week now, like, like 17, 18 days, and he has yet to pitch. So makes you think that he's just not going to pitch this year. Yeah, I wonder. It's, I mean, I know that it's a crowded roster at this point, and it's tough to get guys, some guys, some innings. Um, but uh, especially it's with the Indians being, yeah, I, I would guess, yeah, something like that. So maybe some kind of mop up duty. Um, but uh, with the Indians being in such uh, tight uh, circumstances with the division race and the uh, wild card race, they don't really have the kind of to have the innings to spare to uh, get Rodriguez out there and get his uh, feet back under him on the mound. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that's that's the reality. So I'm sure he's out there um, and ready to go if needed, but it just hasn't come to that situation yet. And um, at, but it's interesting. They, didn't, they yeah. didn't use an option on him. Like he could, I mean, I know his rehab stint was up. Like the 30 days expired, they had to do something. And, they, and instead of optioning back to AAA, they just kept him up, which – I don't think it really matters because he was already optioned spring training. So they already used the option in 2019 for him, I believe. So this, this very is bizarre. Strange. Or did they, have to, did, they have to, did they have to add him to the roster? Or was he already on the 40 when he got here? Um, I don't – I'm trying to think. I don't know if he was – I think he might have been on a 60-day 60, 60 IL. Let me uh, – I had that pulled up. Well, I mean, was he, was, was, was he on the 40-man roster in spring training, like – did they have to add him to the 40-man roster when they called him up for the first time? Or was he already on the 40-man roster when he got here, when they, that, the trade was made? That I'm not sure of. I I, I would think maybe because um, I think he was on I think he was on the major league roster for the Nationals when he was traded. Um, so I would think that that he was that, you're right, yeah. So I think that that would automatically transfer over, uh, and he would be on the roster uh, on the forty man for the Indians to begin with. So uh, that's I I I can't say for sure though, but that would be my inclination. But um, <clears throat> the other uh, aspect that uh, Terry Francona pointed out when they activated him was talking about how his velocity isn't quite where it was uh, <clears throat> once he came back, and he's still working on getting back, and that 
also makes me wonder about his uh, about his uh, rebuilt mechanics. Maybe he can tap into more of that velocity because we know he's got he's shown in the past to have that electric arm, and I'm fascinated to see if that can become uh, part of his game again and moving forward, especially if he is uh, going to be in the bullpen at some point. Right. It looks like he was on the 40 to start the year, and they optioned him down in spring training. And once you're down 30 days, that uses an option. So I'm pretty sure they've already – I don't know. It's it's hard to discern because he was down on – I know we're spending too much time on this, but he was down on March 11th in spring training. They sent him down. And he was recalled on the 13th of April, optioned back on the 14th of April, back up on the 24th, sent back down the 25th and then was back up May 7th for good until he got hurt. I don't know if that's a combined 30 days, and I don't know if it has to be 30 days like in one period where you use the option on him, but I would have to guess that they've used this option. I, I mean, so I don't think whatever they're doing now is a case of trying to get him back up so they don't have to use an option on him. He has two laps, so yeah, I think he's already got an option gone, so I don't know why it makes a difference. Maybe... Maybe uh, maybe they are saving an option on him by, by doing it this way. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. It's just something to think about why he hasn't pitched, but why he's on the roster. I, I just didn't want to just gloss over uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez because, one, he was very crucial to the Indians uh, in early on in the season, and, two, I still think he could be a, a big part of them moving forward, even if he's not uh, a big part of the pitching staff the rest of the season. So uh, aside from that, though uh, – Let's get to the big stories of the of the week. First of all, um, Brad Hand, who we've discussed uh, at length over the last few weeks with his struggles, um, he flew back to Cleveland during the Angels series to undergo an MRI, and on his pitching elbow, uh, as he w- he was dealing with what uh, Terry Francona characterized as tired as uh, tired pitching arm or tired arm syndrome. I don't know if that's an official thing or not, but um, that's what that's what he characterized it as, and uh, he said that in specific, more specifically, like his arm slot was starting to get lower, and it was affecting his uh, obviously his command and his overall effectiveness. So uh, the question is, will Brad Hand be able to get back up to a level? comparable to where he was at the start of the season, if he even gets back at all. I mean, what, what are we looking at here? We haven't seen an official uh, an official uh, release of what the MRI revealed, but uh, I, I would think that this recent roster move, which we'll get to in a second, uh, to fortify the bullpen, might, have, might say that Brad Hand's situation may not correct itself overnight. Yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's big news. I don't even... Uh, I mean, if he's been like this for a while and they noticed that his his arm slot was just dropping and dropping, something's obviously been going on. He hasn't been right for a while. So just amazing to me that they've let it go this long if it's been an issue. But I think that... They were, I mean, I don't even know if having him back, if having him back makes a difference. Because if he's, pitching, if he's pitching as bad as he was, you're not getting much from him. Right, and... I don't know, does it just have something to do with how crucial he was to the Indians' bullpen early on in the season? In the first I mean, half, I yeah. Yeah, and how 
you know, even though the bullpen numbers have been good overall or above average overall, um, it's really been Brad Hanna in the ninth inning that's sealed the deal, you know, because they don't have, as we've said before, I think last week we talked about it, they don't have anybody else who can really step up there. Adam Simber stepped up and got his, uh, I think his first career save uh, in against the Angels uh, to complete that that sweep this week. But, um, so, if Brad Hand is going to be a non-factor or a minimal factor the rest of the season, where do the Indians go from here? Now, that brings us to the promotion of James Karinchak, something we've been waiting for for a while. But, uh, I, I will get into Gar- James Karinchak in more detail in a second here. But, in addition to his uh, presence in the bullpen, where do the Indians go to uh, kind of pick up the slack for... And when he when he is healthy and not contributing, and now when he's off the field and uh, not contributing in any fashion, matchups, I guess. I mean, it's not even just hand. That's the problem. Up until yesterday, uh, the bullpen had been kind of iffy as of late. Nick Goody had struggles. Nick Whitgren had struggles. Um, Tyler Clifford had some rough outings in Tampa Bay, I think, and maybe against Chicago. I don't know. The whole bullpen was kind of just teetering on the edge the last month or so. Tyler Clifford's got closing experience. So maybe you use him back there. I don't know if you throw Carrasco into the closer's role in the meantime. Um, he's still walking quite a few guys, so it appears he's still got a you know, iron things out with his delivery or just whatever, you know, he's got to deal with, with ongoing treatment for leukemia and managing that. So I don't know if the Indians are ready to throw him into that situation just yet. Um, maybe it's just by committee. I mean, it worked. I mean, the angels are not a good team by any means. And Mike Trout wasn't even playing last night or the whole series. Um, but I guess maybe the best course of action is kind of what they did last night where, Whitgren started the ninth, I think, and then Perez came in for a batter, and then Simber came in for a batter. And, you know, you're not always going to have it set up where you can go right, left, right with three pitchers in an inning to get a, you know, get a save. But I would think the best course of action, if they can line it up, is to just match up and hope that, uh, you know, you can match up the way you want in the ninth inning with, you know, using Oliver Perez and, a couple of right-handers, and they don't have another lefty in the bullpen now, do they? Because Tyler Olson's on the, on the IL for the season, and Josh Smith is in AAA, I think. And right, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Smith is the forty-man move to to get uh, Karen Jack on the forty-man uh, roster. So it's going to be interesting if they don't have that second left-hander. So maybe maybe Smith does come up once Columbus is done, and there's another move made, but. Yeah, they just got the pieces together. I think that's all, all. What else can you really do? I mean, you. I don't. I really doubt they're going to throw Karen Shack right into the fire. I, I, that doesn't seem like something the Indians would do. But you know, Whitgren, Goody, Clippard, Perez, Simber. Everyone's going to have to just come in when called upon and have to get the job done. Yeah, and going back to what you talked about, Carrasco and how he so far hasn't quite uh, figured things out and ironed things out uh, as far as getting back on the mound. Uh, but Terry Francona, I was, I've was i been reading a bunch of uh, the recent Indians articles, and uh, 
And Terry Francona, in a recent quote, um, made uh, no bones about, was not shy about saying, like, uh, we definitely need Carrasco uh, going into the last portion of the season here. I mean, he's, he, that was a direct quote. He says, we need him. So, uh, you know, the bullpen situation is uh, teetering, as you said, and now as unfair as it may be to place these expectations on Carrasco, uh, at the same time, you know, he's the guy who's probably going to need to step up unless they really feel confident in Karinczak at this point or if they want to go to Tyler Clippert, as you said. But um, I don't know. This is this hand uh, issue, and I just, just isn't because of the uh, him not being able to pitch at all. I mean, obviously this... Uh, period of ineffectiveness dates back to uh, dates back several weeks if not months and uh, this is a the situation they're going to have to face coming down the stretch here and uh, they're going to have to figure it out so yeah these matchup situations are probably going to be how it goes um, for the short run and in the long run they're probably hoping to get uh, Carlos Carrasco uh, into a late-inning role, and hopefully he's pitching well, and then uh, maybe even get Karinczak in there. Who knows? Yeah, at least they'll have the options. I mean, Clifford's been steady. Goody was good for the most part up until the last few appearances. Wickren has been kind of back and forth in the second half. Perez, I was Perez is probably the most dependable reliever in that bullpen, but if they can, you know, you still worry about, I don't, I don't know if you're ready to get into Karinczak yet, but you still worry about the amount of walks he might um, hand out in a high leverage role, but you know they have some options at least. Right, right, and we can just go into like Karen. Che- Clifford has, yeah, Clifford does have closing experience. Right, exactly. So uh, I wouldn't rule him out f- to get some more uh, uh, eighth or even ninth inning uh, spots as far as uh, appearance his appearances go, but. Uh, Let's go ahead and go right into Karen Chak, though, and talk about essentially just how good he's been this season. I know he missed a good portion of it due to injury, but um, 30 and a third innings this year. He has uh, 74 strikeouts, and I think, uh, according, I think it was uh, MLB Pipeline who tweeted this out that, uh, was it 90% of Karen Chak's outs recorded this year have been via strikeout? That's just an insane number. 81%. Or 81%. Still an insane number. Uh, so 33rd innings pitch and 30 appearances between Akron, uh, Arizona and Columbus, uh, 16 hits, uh, 10 runs, nine earned allowed. He's allowed two homers and 17 walks. So yeah, the walk rate's up there a little bit, but still, no, he's not allowing hits. He's striking everybody out left and right. Uh, hitters are only batting a buck 50 against him. His whip is 109. So you know, I think as long as he can limit hits and you know he has the ability to get the strikeout whenever you need him to, I guess you can tolerate the walks as long as they're not at a at, at an insane level. But, you know, coming up to the majors and seeing the guys you're going to be facing, there's uh, probably going to be a good chance he'll, he'll walk a few more batters early on, and that probably will be a thing throughout his uh, career, but... Um, Obviously, his stuff has played up so well at every level he's pitched, and uh, he's moved up quickly through the system, and looking at all his numbers, I mean, other than 2017 in Mahoney Valley and the stretch he's had in Columbus, 
Uh, he hasn't posted an ERA over 261 at any of the levels he's pitched. So uh, that's just very remarkable. And uh, I'm so excited to see him now at the major league level and see how that um, how that fastball curve uh, combo works for him. Because obviously it's worked for him everywhere else, so I don't see any reason why it shouldn't work for him in the majors, even if there is a period of adjustment at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's definitely a period of adjustment. I think if he comes in early and establishes the curveball for strikes, it'll make him much more effective. I, I, I hate, you know, comps and player comp uh, comparisons. I know everyone today was like, well, who would you compare him to in the majors? Really, the best comparison, honestly, is Cody Allen. Cody Allen um, came up with the same arsenal, basically a spike curve and a and a fastball and a high release point, and that carried him through a long time with a good career with the Indians. And he didn't exactly have the world's best command at any point. I mean, in his best years, his command was above average for sure, but um, it wasn't you know great when he came up, and it sure wasn't great at the end, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I think if, if Karen Jack comes up in whatever spot they decide to throw him into, if he can come in and establish that he can throw the breaking ball for strikes, that's going to go a long way to helping him out because um, with the over-the-top the delivery that he has, that high arm slot and the, the high release point, he tunnels those two pitches so well, and it makes it hard for hitters to really have time to figure out which pitch he's throwing. That, that's what you need. When, I mean, I figured who it was. I it was a reliever for some team, a really good reliever, and he was saying about how hard it is to be a two-pitch reliever in baseball today with how much tools and technology um, you know hitters have and, and how, how smart hitters are, and not to mention you know, the, the ball being um, unusual or, or something's off with the ball or doctored or whatever you want to call it. Hitters have a, a pretty good advantage there against two-pitch pitchers, so the fact that Karen Shack tunnels his fastball and curveball so well, and he throws the cur- you know, the fastball 95, 97, and... Um, 99, I've, I've seen. Yeah, I, you saw that? I, don't, I haven't seen him at 99. I know I saw him at 98 one point this year. Um, pretty, I know I, he's really I, comfortable memory serves, I, I, I mean, take him from where it's worth, it's a stadium... Uh, it's a stadium... Uh, uh, radar gun, so not always the most reliable source. Although Akron's has always been pretty reliable, from what I understand. And uh, I, if if memory serves, I think he's hit ninety nine. I've seen him hit ninety nine at least once uh, with Akron. So um, he's definitely got the the high octane heat, um, and he's definitely got that high arm slot. That's the one thing that was really struck me the first time I saw him pitch. It's just how high he comes straight straight down, which. You know he's six foot three, so he's got a little bit of height advantage there, and coming straight down with those uh, pitches definitely helps. And yeah, if he can maintain a steady arm slot for both pitches, he, which obviously has attributed to part of his success as well, and, and the separation and pitch speeds between the fastball and curve. I I like the comp of Cody Allen because I think that you know they're not exactly the same, but I think it's probably the closest comp we have as far as modern day. Uh, modern day uh, comparisons go but uh as far as uh Karen chat goes I think we're both in agreement as well as everybody here at the site that we are very excited to see him pitch in the majors and 
unfortunately we had to wait until, until September, but uh, I think that we might be seeing the future of the Indians' bullpen uh, start to come into view here down the stretch and in, in obviously into 2020 and beyond as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we've been waiting. I, I would like to say that it's been a weird month or so that the Indians haven't called him up at this point. I was, so I would like to say that had he not had the hamstring injury that took him out for a while and, and supposed, I think, a lat injury in the middle of that, um, if that had not that came about, I wonder if he would have been up sooner. Um, <laughs> they've just been so weird about his status the last month or so, so maybe he wouldn't have anyway. But, yeah, I agree. I think coming into the season, I think – Everybody here at the site, anybody who pays attention to Indians prospects knew that um, he had future closer stuff last year, just a ton of walks. And I said today, you know, the only thing that's kept him out of the majors at this point is himself. It's just walks and the injuries. Like, I mean, no, not multiple injuries, but the injury this year and then walks this year um, came back after the injury. If he, I think if he would have came back after the injury and uh, – refound his command that he had coming into this year, I think he would have been up, but I don't know, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But, I mean, we, we all know he's got closer-type stuff. That's the, the strikeouts speak for themselves, and, you know, strikeouts are strikeouts, but if you look at, at the rate he's missing bats in the minors, it's not just that he's getting guys out. It's, you know, he's getting a lot of guys to swing and miss. The guys are not picking up where he's throwing, and they're not, not able to hit. I mean, hitters had a 150 average off him this year. Right, and that uh, I don't have the swinging strike numbers in front of me, but I know that his strikeout rate was well over 30%. So uh, very, very impressive stuff there, and uh, definitely excited to see how he factors into the bullpen. And uh, I'll ask you for a quick prediction. How do you uh, think uh, Karen Jack will factor in down the stretch here? I know there's only like two and a half weeks left in the season, so not a lot of time for him to really establish himself. But do you, given the situation and the status of the Indians' bullpen with what Han's going through and some of the struggles of the other guys, do you think that James Karinczak will play a significant role in the bullpen by the, uh, the end of the season? And um, I don't know, is it, he's not going to be eligible for the postseason, is he? He could be. Um, technically, right now, he's not, but there's all kinds of, you know, goofy workarounds that uh, you can play with roster manipulation. Like if he, if he replaces somebody um, who goes on the injured list from the 40-man roster right now, he could be eligible for the postseason. I don't know. I'm guessing that wouldn't be Brad Hand because he's not on the IL yet, and I don't think he will be tomorrow. Well, I guess we'll see. But um, it didn't sound like as of yesterday that Hand was going on the IL. It sounded just like they were going to see how he felt Friday and if he could pitch again. So maybe he goes on the I.L. I don't know. Um, my guess is what they'll do is they'll either – I don't know what the move will be from tomorrow. It could be anybody. I was thinking Josh Smith, and it may not be. Um, but, yeah, if they, they could wind up moving someone from the 40-man roster to the injured to 60-day I.L., and he could, they could say he's replacing him. Teams do it all the time. I mean, Adalberto Mondesi of the Royals, he made his major league debut in the World Series in uh, in 2015. So it's not like it hasn't happened before. So, yeah, he if, if, if the Indians really want him on the playoff roster, there are plenty of roster manipulation tactics they can do to get him on there. So I wouldn't even worry about that. As far as how he factors in, I don't know. It's going it's to really depend. I'm sure 
I don't know if he's going to pitch right out of the gate. And it's, it's an awfully tough assignment to have him face the, the, the Twins when you're in the middle of a di- trying to come back in the division battle late in the year, isn't it? Your major league debut. Um, I, my guess is it'll be low leverage the first time, first couple times out, and they won't pitch him back to back days. I don't know, but he's probably they're probably going to make him, you know, earn his innings at least as far as leverage goes. Right. Yeah. And I, it's just there's if there was only more time, if this had happened like you said at the start of the month or earlier in the season, it would be a different story. But two and a half weeks just isn't a lot of time for a rookie to establish himself in the bullpen. And you know we know with Terry Francona, you have to earn those late inning late inning spots, and uh, he's very in the past he's been very slow to let anybody uh, take those jobs away. So. Um, I don't know if Karen Check simply just has enough time to uh, establish him, not only establish himself in the majors, but uh, prove to Terry Francona that he's worthy of uh, getting uh, some late inning roles, whether it's the seventh or eighth or maybe even the ninth inning. I don't know if I would rule that out, but even though it's an incredible long shot, it, I just don't think he has enough time. Probably not. I don't know. I mean, it's going it's to really depend on the rest of the bullpen and how, how desperate the Indians get for someone to shut the door. Um, I'm trying to think. I think I mean, Fred Cohn is stuck with uh, with Chris Perez in 2013 until the end, until Chris Perez finally came to him and said he wasn't feeling right, and that's kind of what happened to hand here, obviously. Um, but Cody Allen was on that roster all year long, and, and Cody Allen took over once Perez was out. Um yeah, Cody Allen was on that roster all year long, and this is Kerenchak's debut. So <clears throat> I find it hard to believe that he's going to earn that kind of role in a matter, like you said, in a matter of two weeks. So um, we'll see. I mean, I, at least he's going to get a shot. I'm sure we'll see him at some point. And if he start, if he the more, I mean, if he pitches well, they might not have any choice if if hand is going to be down or whatever happens to him. Well, these last two weeks are already going to be interesting for so many reasons, but to see this bullpen dynamic work itself out with, you know, not only Karen check, but seeing if hand is still going to be a factor, how Carrasco is going to progress. And then seeing if uh, the guys like Clippard, uh, Wickren and, and Nick Goody are able to get back on track enough to, uh, to uh, solidify the late innings again. Um, that's, that's going to be something they really have to figure out because, um, you need that bullpen to be at least uh, league average uh, productivity and effectiveness once you get to the postseason because we've seen the last several years how effective bullpens can really uh, change the game and how not just that, how not having a good bullpen can really come back to bite you. And so the Indians need to figure something out with that over the next couple of weeks. And it's not a lot of time to do it, but – they need to they need to do something if they want to have a real shot in October. And um I wanted to switch gears to the starting rotation though and acknowledge the uh success and dominance of Mike Clevenger. I mean, I know all the a lot of that attention's been going to Shane Bieber and deservedly so for his uh for his effectiveness and dominance so far this season and how I still believe he could be uh, a Cy Young contender, not maybe, not to win it, but I still think he could be an outside shot at making top three, top five in the voting. And uh, 
But as far as Mike Clevenger goes, I know he missed a lot of time uh, due to the uh, back injury. But uh, since coming back, he's been probably one of the Indians' best pitchers uh, outside of Shane, not named Shane Bieber. And he's just come right back in and stepped up and been exactly what the Indians have needed, especially in the absence of Kluber and Carrasco and, and now Trevor Bauer being traded. Uh, over his last uh, 13 starts dating back to the start of July, um, he is 10-0 and with an even two ERA. He's allowed 18 runs on 61 hits over 81 innings, struck out 108 batters in 81 innings. That's a pretty impressive mark in of itself. And, and walked 22, so... You know, batters are only hitting a buck or two oh nine against him. Um, they only have a five, combined five ninety four OPS in that span. And you know, on the season overall, you look at just going back to the start of the season. Uh, even though he missed the injury, he's got a two seventy two ERA and a twelve and five record. So uh, despite missing all that time, Mike Clevenger doesn't look like he's missed a beat as far as how he's been pitching. Yeah, I, I heard um, it was a TJ Zuppi and Zach Myers will be athletic on the well, TJ used to be with the athletic um, on the Selby's Godcast last week talking about um, whether Mike Clevenger or not would garner would garner any Cy Young votes or not. Not first place, but top five. You get five. The uh, people who vote for Cy Youngs get five spots to list players. Um, they you know they went over the candidates saying. But Verlander, Cole, Morton, um, Giolito, Giolito, yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, there was Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, all those guys sort of factored in based on different stats like WAR, you know, Baseball Reference WAR, Fangraphs WAR, um, strikeout rate, all that kind of stuff. Um, but once you kind of get past some of those names, and even you know, Lance Lynn and Mike Miner probably won't get a lot of consideration just because they're playing for a team that's not winning. Um, and some of the other stats, Clevenger has got a better rate on them. Um, I, I think for sure Shane Bieber finishes in the top five. I don't know. Maybe Clevenger gets a couple of votes. I don't know if Clevenger finishes in the top five. I would say I'll, – I'll say that Shane Bieber finishes like fourth or fifth. But they were making a good point that Clevenger, while he probably won't finish in the top five, he might get some fifth-place votes. Um, or at least he'll get some consideration uh, just because of how good he's been since he's been back. You know, he's checking up every single box. Um, he just doesn't have the volume. If he had the volume, I think he'd be up there with Verlander and Cole, the way he's been pitching. So, um, boy, where I don't know where the Indians would be without uh, either of those two. And it's crazy to say that how much Clevenger has carried them since coming back. Not carried because Beaver still pitched well, but if Clevenger isn't this good, like he's, he's had to be this good for them to have a shot at the wild card and, and, and still have an outside chance at getting back into the division. Um, without him this good, I don't think either that happens. That's just a testament to how he was able to come back and how much the innings are leaning on Shane Bieber and how he's responding is incredible because he has not pitched as many innings in his career and, he hasn't shown any signs of wearing down, and Clevenger, you know, since he turned his ankle and that start against Texas and had that clunker against Baltimore, hasn't shown any signs of slowing down either, which is incredible. I can't believe the Indians, what, fourth and fifth starters coming into the year are now their, you know, dueling aces, I guess? Yeah, uh, it's quite 
it's quite uh, a testament to how you know it's how things really just change over the course of a 162 game season. You, the predictions you make in March and April are just they never hardly ever come to fruition. I mean, yeah, you, you got your easy you got your easy picks like maybe the Yankees uh, winning the division or uh, you know Justin Verlander. Com- Tending for the Cy Young or whatever, something like that. But um, yeah, the per, to predict that uh, Shane Bieber and uh, Mike Clevenger would be the dueling aces, as you said, in the rotation, without while Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco were uh, were hurt, Trevor Bauer was traded, and somehow the the starting rotation is not a major concern for the Indians. That's something I don't think anybody would have predicted, and. Really looking at the game logs for Clevenger since no. coming back, yeah, since coming back in mid June, uh, you know he had a couple clunkers against uh, Texas and Baltimore, allowing five runs and seven runs re- respectively. But at, after those two outings, he locked it right back in against the Royals, six shutout innings, and then from there it was he just taken off, and that was that uh, that was that thirteen start run there where he's been ten and zero. So it's. Um, Something that the Indians really need uh, him to be on his game, Bieber to be on his game, Lindor to be on his game. All the people they need on their game right now are, outside of maybe Brad Hand, uh, have pretty much been on their game. And, uh, you know, I know they had a little, it's been one week to the next, it's been, it felt like the roller coaster has gone up and down. But um, I think that um, as far as key players go, outside of Brad Hand, everybody seems to be locking in at the right time. Everybody, well, yeah, everyone seems to be. Santana's been fine on the offense. Lindor's gotten hot, and Sabali's been good. Plucko has been solid. I know Frank Kona had a pretty quick hook with him last night against the Angels, or Wednesday night, um, which seemed to work, I guess. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone for the most part has been doing pretty well. I mean, the offense went really cold for a stretch there after Jose went down, and, and they – so only took two or four from the White Sox on um, the week of Labor Day, which was not good um, and really concerning. But, you know, they, they scored some runs against the Twins. They showed a lot of fight. Um, and they did just enough to beat the Angels. I, you know, worried about the offense coming into the Twins series. I don't know if the Twins are going this weekend. I haven't had a chance to look. It looks like um, they're going to use an opener on one of the games. So that's interesting. Um, but you hope the offense is ready to go. And they have Clevenger and Bieber. It's Savali, Clevenger, and Beaver against the Twins this weekend in that order, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So they've got all those guys lined up, and, and hopefully, you know, that gives them an edge in the pitching matchup. And like you said, they're all doing really good at the same time, and, and hopefully they bring enough offense. And, uh, you know, Karinchak gives the bullpen a shot in the arm that it really needs. Uh, let's hope so. A um, couple quick hits to wrap up here. Uh, first of all, you know, Yasio Puig faced some criticism for not running out a ground ball uh, back to the pitcher. Um, that was against the Twins, I believe. And, you know, he came He re- he came back afterwards and said, talked about how Santana has been giving him advice that he needs to run out every play and he's how he's 100% with him. And uh, he didn't understand why he didn't do it that one time. Probably just out of frustration. He he didn't 
didn't do what he was supposed to and let the, his emotion get the best of him. But he owned basically he owned up to it and said, "Hey, I should have I should have done it. I didn't, and it's not going to happen again." And uh, so, uh, and not a major story there, but uh, I just thought something worth bringing up since I, you know Puig is such a uh, is, is such a, a polarizing figure in uh, baseball, and you know anytime he does some something like that, he's going to face heavy criticism. That's yeah, unfortunately his history. I mean, if any, I, again, I don't know who else would have done this on the Indians. Nobody would have. So that's just kind of who Puig is. When he does things like this, you notice it. And you know, anybody, if anybody had done that, you would have noticed it. But it definitely stands out more when Puig does it. And I think I, I don't know if you said this or uh, where I saw this, but I think uh, what did Francona say that he's apologized for it so much that Francona had to tell him to stop apologizing. So. I think his and, and Santana, who talked to him right after, I think that message resonated. So I think they're good. I don't think it'll happen again. And I also do want – I'm not making excuses for him, but I also do wonder that um, in that game he also was limping scoring. When he was scoring on uh, a play, uh, he was kind of limping and had a hamstring issue after that. And then he went down to the trainer's room um, – in between innings, and I know he ran out gingerly after, so I almost wonder if he didn't run to first, if there was essentially something going on with his hamstring at that point as well. Yeah, I mean, that could be a factor too, but, you know, the adage is you run it out every every play, and if it's a ball back to the pitcher, because you never know how a play might uh, turn out. So um, I like that he owned up to it, though, and uh, I like that he how he's owned up to it oh, a lot. I didn't hear that part about how Terry Francona told him to stop apologizing for everything, but uh, I think that's a that's a good sign. It's a nice sign of respect for uh, for uh, his new team and his new manager, because right? obviously Terry Francona's name carries a lot of a, a lot of weight in the game today. So uh, nice to see him owning up to his mistakes, and uh, hopefully moving forward, it won't be much a factor. It, it, I, the Yasiel Puig. Uh, character hasn't played that much of a factor since he's come to the Indians. Now, that could still change. We might see a brawl before the season's end. Hopefully not, though, but uh, it's, uh, to this point, Puig has, I think, been more of a positive factor than a negative factor, and maybe it's just because looking in from the outside, it's more overblown than it actually is, but um, I think that... Uh, it's nice to see that Puig has not been the negative factor that some of us may have been expecting so far. And hopefully that uh, keeps up as well. Yeah, I would say if, if anybody can handle his personality or, I don't want to say corral him, but can at least get him in the right – make sure he goes in the right direction every day. Um, it's definitely the Indians clubhouse. They, between Francona and Lindor and Santana – it's just like I, like we've been saying for the, most of the second half, we were all worried about the Indians' uh, leadership with losing Michael Brantley and um, Josh Tomlin, who are two really well-respected leaders in that clubhouse. Uh, the Indians have gotten plenty of leadership from guys like Lindor and, and Santana and for a time Dan Otero and even for a time uh, Trevor Bauer before he got traded apparently or um, – to some people, anyway. I mean, I guess what he did with Clevenger and Bieber was a you know a form of leadership, at least. 
So they've had other guys step up. So if, I think Indian's clubhouse was well equipped to deal with this kind of stuff with Puig. And uh, even though he did have that one, you know, little slip up with not running it out, they cor- they corrected it pretty fast and it hasn't been an issue. Last thing before we uh, before we get to the end of the show here, um, I just came across this on Twitter today uh, from a few days ago. Uh, Curtis Granderson posted on Twitter talking about how he is going to put his support behind Carlos Carrasco and his fight against leukemia, and uh, he is going to pledge $100 uh, partnering with New Balance in their punch-out cancer campaign uh, for every run that the Marlins score the rest of the rest of the year and in support of uh, Carrasco. So uh, Granderson, you know, he's toward the end of his career, major league career playing, playing with the Marlins, not having a great year there, but um, obviously a very personable guy. He's been a big leader in every clubhouse he's been in. Um, so I thought that was nice of him to just uh, publicize that level of support and uh, to – and to uh, do so um, in such in such a big way, and you know, make your jokes about the Marlins. And I think we laid down a couple before we went on the air here, and how many runs are going <laughs> to score the rest of the year. But um, yeah, either way, it's still a nice feel good uh, thing to end on here. We did have to verify before when you brought this up in the show notes. We did have to verify that um, Curtis Granderson was still on the Marlins roster. That's all I'm saying. We we had to make sure that was still happening. Apparently it is. So that's the only joke I'm going to make. But I'm not surprised because Granderson is doing something that philanthropic. And, um, you know, good for him. And, and Shane Bieber, I know, also stepped up, too. And he's donating some money to charity, like Bauer was, with strikeouts. Um, so, you know, good for them. That's cool. It is cool. And the I think Carras the... goes up to – yeah, Robert Roberto Clemente, uh, the Roberto Clemente Award yeah. again this year. I think he's been the uh, the Indians uh, representative and finalist the last. Uh, I, man, it's like five, last five years, I would say. It's going, yeah, it's going. He's he's great, man. Carlos Carrasco, especially this year, deserves it. Yeah, it's awesome, and uh, I'm. I'm glad to see uh, the entire baseball world just embrace him and and throw their support behind him during this time. And I know he's, I know he's overwhelmed and just overjoyed by the support of not only his teammates but the entire baseball family. So uh, great to see, for sure. Um, so let's go ahead and preview next week's games. As we've mentioned, uh, the final matchup between the Indians and the Twins. Uh, is taking place this weekend at Progressive Field. It's going to be a key series here uh, after this off day on Thursday. Uh, you got Jake Odorizzi going against Aaron Savali. Uh, Odorizzi, I think, has been pretty tough on the Indians this year, if I'm not mistaken, because it seems like every time I look at the scoreboard when he's pitching, they Indians putting a bunch of zeros on the board. Um, so let's see if they can finally get to him. Uh, Savali obviously pitching very well, has a 193 ERA on the year. Um, Clevenger's going on Saturday. The Twins pitching matchup is uh, to be determined, although that may be the opening, the bullpen day they they were talking about. Um, and then uh, Sunday, uh, Jose Barrios against Shane Bieber. So the Indians are putting their uh, best arms forward uh, for this series, and uh, hopefully they can come away with a sweep. That would be very nice. Put them... Uh, 
put them a game out of the division race and really keep them uh, in that fight uh, for the rest of the season. That way they're not limiting themselves to just a wild card. But um, you got to do what you got to do. So uh, any thoughts on uh, that series coming up? And and then I'll talk about the uh, games next week as well. Yeah, I think anything short of a sweep. I'm watching the Twins game as we record this. It's 1-1. Um, at the worst, the Indians go into that series down four and a half. So uh, after after the Twins leave Cleveland, they play, I want to say it's Detroit. I think it's no Chicago. I'm just going to look it up because I'm not going to remember it. Anyway, they they play some terrible combination of, of player of teams after that. And it's either, I think it's Chicago, Detroit, KC. I don't know. Their, their schedule is just absolutely off after they, after they leave Cleveland. So, whenever the Indians do, they're, they're going to have to sleep. Yeah, so after they leave Cleveland, it's Chicago, Kansas City, Detroit, Kansas City. Uh, the only team there that's going to give them any kind of fight is the White Sox. The rest of those two teams, the other two teams are just, you know, playing out the string here. So, the Indians probably need to come on sleep if they want to get back into this because it's very unlikely that uh, the Twins are going to stub their toe so much that the Indians are going to come back and, and win the division facing the Nationals and the Phillies, um, even though they had to have the Tigers one more time after this. Right, so, uh, yeah, that was going to be what I talked about next, uh, that series against the Tigers coming up. Um, they will have... That's got to be a uh, too. They're going to basically have to go on a nine-game... Is that, is that a three-game... Three three game uh, series after an off day on Monday, also at Progressive Field. This is pretty long homestand they have coming up, uh, starting uh, Friday on Friday the thirteenth. Uh, hopefully luck isn't against them that day. But um, oh yeah, great. Then uh, <laughs> and I think we're heading towards a full moon too. So <laughs> it's gonna be a, it is that, a full moon on Friday. Yeah, tomorrow's gonna be interesting. Oh, Watch boy. your step tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you got the Tigers on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth. None of those pitching matchups are uh, have been determined yet. And then the Phillies come to town uh, the following weekend to wrap up the uh, the home uh, season for the Indian regular season for the Indians, and then they finish off the year on the road against uh, the White Sox and the Nationals. So um, you know they. You got uh, the Twins, the Phillies, and the Nationals, and I guess you can consider the White Sox uh, not a pushover team as as well, especially late in the season. I always they haven't been to the Indians. They, I always uh, look at these games late in the season, even against bad teams, as you know these are games that could go either way because these are teams that they want to finish strong and they want to play spoiler to the to the big dogs, especially in their division. So uh, if that. I, I know that on paper the, the twin schedule looks pretty easy, but I, I, I would uh, hesitate to say that uh, when it's this late in the season and uh, anything could happen. Um, so uh, we'll see how that plays out. We'll see if the Indians are able to uh, make up some ground, maybe get back in that division race. It would be very nice if they get that sweep uh, at home this weekend. And they definitely got the arms to do it. Savale, Clevenger, and Bieber are probably the Indians' best – three starting pitchers right now. So, um, we'll, uh, definitely, uh, we're definitely looking forward to seeing how it goes. There's going to be some 
nail-biting moments, that's for sure. And But as such is uh, September baseball, and we've only got a little over two weeks left of a regular season baseball, and then it's playoff time. Hopefully the Indians are participating. Uh, they're currently not holding a playoff spot, but only half a game behind the A's and a game behind the Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays for the first wild card spot. So it's a very tight race right there. Um, so... And uh, both those teams are playing really good baseball, as I mentioned, at the top of the show. So it's going to be a dogfight to the end, no matter how you slice it. And uh, you know what? When it comes to September baseball, who would you rather have it any other way? No, but that's also a lot to ask them to go on a nine-game winning streak. This is uh, true. They beat the Angels three in a row, and then they got it. They basically took Twins in division. And then you cannot afford to lose a game against the Tigers, so you basically got to win nine in a row, which is, you know, pretty a pretty tough ask for a team without their best hitter and and their closer. A closer, you know, if he was if he even if he was struggling, I mean, if, if they win nine in a row, this is definitely looking more like 2013 when they won ten in a row to end the year. And hey, yeah. they were without their closer then, weren't they? I mean, technically Chris Perez was out, even though Cody Allen was the better pitcher at that point, and. Uh, Masterson was a uh, a relief ace or a, a long reliever or whatever. Uh, I guess Carrasco could be that or Karen Track. We'll see. Um, I don't know. Maybe there will be some similarities like 2013. We'll see. Well, but, yeah, hopefully. it's going to be interesting, and it's definitely not going to be boring. And let's just hope it's not frustrating either. Right. Exactly. That's a good uh, note to end on here. So. Uh... Before we go, uh, anything you want to plug uh, as we head into these uh, final weeks? Yeah, so let's see. Tomorrow I'll have the, um, the Scrapper's Final Notebook of the Year. So look for that tomorrow. Um, I think Monday I'm still planning on doing three up, three down to the final time. I might just kind of do it as a um, you know stock up, stock down for three players on each side of season wrap-up. Um, we are going to, that, that project I teased last week, uh, you, you, myself and Michael Kuva, um, we are going to take a list of guys from each level and, and kind of evaluate their season and just talk about what their season, um, means to their future. And if they're, you know, who we project from each roster to be a future big leaguer, or if we don't, or what their role is going to be. And then, uh, I don't know when this is going to come out. Um, but sometime in the near future, uh, we'll have a Q&A with um, Indian Farm Director James Harris. Um, we just corresponded over email, and I sent him a list of questions, and he's going to give me a call here in the next couple of days, and we're going to chat. And then uh, it'll probably be a two-part series, but we're going to have uh, you know a number of burning questions answered by James Harris. So hopefully in the next week or so, that'll be a hot site. So that'll that, that'll be a fun that. read for sure. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there are so many questions I could ask him. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to reading that and seeing uh, his thoughts on a bunch of different prospects that are so intriguing uh, and all the developments from this season. So um, looking forward to that. As for me, uh, the second half of the season-ending four thoughts will be posting tomorrow. I'll be posting my top four uh, prospect developments and storylines of uh, 2019. And uh, if you had missed the first half, check that out um, from last week. I'll be posting a link to that in the story as well. So you'll get both uh, halves of that. Um, 
be sure to recap that. I talked uh, in the first half about guys like Brian Lavastida and uh, Tyler Freeman and uh, this upcoming uh, this upcoming half. I'll go ahead and uh, leave it to the imagination for now, and uh, be sure to check that out uh, shortly after this podcast posts in the afternoon. So uh, uh, look forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to this project to see how uh, we evaluate all these players at all the different levels and seeing uh, where they all fall and who is moving up and whose stock is, is kind of falling. So um, we'll, uh, we'll uh, elaborate more on that as we uh, work on it, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun for sure. And uh, then of course we got uh, the farm port podcast. Uh, we haven't been able to get, uh, coordinated to record that uh, yet for the season-ending one, so I apologize for the little bit of a layoff there, but we are definitely going to get together and uh, record our big season finale one, um, which may be spread out over uh, two weeks, so uh, keep an eye out for that as well. Um, as far as we're concerned, uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore Baseball. You can uh, follow the site on Twitter at official underscore IBI and follow the podcast account at smoke signals ibi tweet at us hit us up with any kind of prospect questions or anything you want to talk discuss involving the indians um and also uh, you get all the links and show notes and uh, story stories breaking news you can find uh on the uh, site account and the podcast account as well but um justin it was great to talk tonight and uh, hopefully the indians continue to play well and they can get that uh nine game that nine game uh, win streak going because they really do need that. As you said, to really become a factor in the division and uh, obviously the wild card as well. Um, but well, that's something we'll just have to wait and see, but this is September baseball. It's what it's all about. So we'll be watching and following it and writing about it on the site. But, Oh, and before we go, I think we, we should, uh, we owe it to uh, the Cleveland, uh, sports world to uh, pay our respects to the late great uh, uh, Fred McLeod, uh, right, Justin? Yeah, yeah, definitely a sad day, very really sudden, and I I didn't watch a lot of Cavs basketball last year, unfortunately, but uh, it's it's been fun being a Cavs fan with LeBron around, and it's been even more fun because of Fred McLeod and uh, just what fun and energy and all the stories that were being shared this past week. It just seems like. Everybody in Cleveland media and, and, and the fellow fellow broadcasters just—he seemed like a real special guy, and you know he's definitely a big part of Cleveland. You know, he everyone's kind of got mixed feelings on Tom Hamilton, I suppose, and um, you know everybody likes Jim Donovan, but overall, I think everybody enjoys Tom Hamilton as a broadcaster for the most part. I know some don't, but I do. I enjoy Tom Hamilton, and um, you know, Fred McLeod was definitely a big part of of. Cleveland being a Clevelander and then a broadcaster here, but uh, definitely a sad day and wish you know his family a lot of condolences. It's a, a big loss for the community and the Cavs and his family. I hate to end on a somber note there, but uh, we do uh, wish his family uh, all the best and send our uh, condolences their way. Um, and uh, as I'm sure. Uh, all the uh, Cleveland sports community is uh, during this tough time. So um, just wanted to uh, get that out there and make sure we uh, pay the proper respects there. But um, 
uh, great show otherwise tonight, Justin. And uh, until next time for uh, for Justin questions Lada and comments, and you can podcast. email us at smokesignalsindiansbaseballinsider.com. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at smokesignalsibi, where you can find links to all our shows as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>